14. We'll look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, 1 through 14 is printed, but we're just going to go through the first two paragraphs that are printed there. <clears throat> Leave the next, uh, the last one for next week. Um, so <clears throat> one summer in college, I'm pretty sure it was the year 2000, which uh, sounded really futuristic to me when I was growing up, but it's like a long time ago now. Uh, <clears throat> one summer I, w- I went backpacking with a friend in the Three Sisters Wilderness area. Probably a lot of you are familiar with that. It's uh, uh, a series of mountains that go north-south, north-south uh, near Bend. Um, we started off at the southern end near, <clears throat> near South Sister at the Green Lakes Trailhead, and we were going to meet some friends up near Middle Sister, uh, which is a decent hike, um, at Camp Lake is the name of the place. And so we'd both been out there a couple times before, this friend and, uh, and I, and so being young guys, we were fairly confident in our backpacking skills. Uh, <clears throat> so we hiked north. We hiked past the Green Lakes between uh, Broken Top on one side and uh, South Sister on the other side. It's beautiful out there. and We were getting tired, and we checked the map, and we saw that the trail that uh, would take us to Camp Lake, it made sort of this shepherd's crook, right? Like it went really f- kind of far north before hooking back down to uh, where we wanted to go, which where we wanted to go was directly west of us at this point. If only we could just cut off that hook, we'd save a lot of time. So we decided not to waste any more time, save a couple miles of hiking, and just cut cross country. Um, we had a good map, we had a good compass, we had good gear. Uh, what could go wrong? <laughs> Let me just say, we were not experts at reading topographical maps. And so um, when we finally made it to our friends at Camp Lake, we were exhausted, we collapsed, and we swore we would never do anything that foolish again. We would never go off trail again, no matter what. And so we slept pretty well that night. <clears throat> Got up the next morning, packed up camp, hit the trail, that trail that we were never going to get off of again, no matter what. <clears throat> Ten minutes later, realized we had lost the trail. <laughs> we tried to backtrack and... Um, because now we knew the value of sticking to the trail. We were going to stick to it, no matter what. <clears throat> but we couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Uh, long story short, it's almost unbelievable that I'm standing here today, alive, not lost, wandering in the Oregon wilderness these last 18 years. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> we found the trail again eventually. <clears throat> What's the point of all this? It's something about knowing your destination. But not just your destination. Knowing the way to your destination and holding fast to the way to your destination. And those are the kinds of things we're going to talk about this morning with regard to our relationship with God from this passage. So uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would give us the comfort of the full assurance of faith, knowing your love to us. We pray that you would declare the gospel now to us as it's read, Uh, declare it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand it and receive it by faith. We pray for your help as we consider your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, How long have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is Jesus' final evening with his disciples before his crucifixion. It's in the upper room. It's the upper room discourse or the the last discourse. Um, We're going to be in it for a while because it takes up the next several chapters of John's gospel. As always, Jesus is concerned with others more than he is with himself. So when I might be panicking to be in his spot, looking looking forward to a, a few more short hours until my betrayal and death. I might be panicking. I might be complaining about what I saw coming. He loved his disciples to the end, it says in the last chapter. And he was preparing them. <clears throat> he was preparing them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. That's Believe in God. Trust in God. It's translated differently in English, but it's the same word in, uh, in the original text there. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So from the whole Bible, we understand that Jesus is himself God, so he isn't saying, I want you to believe, I want you to trust two different things here. I want you to trust in two different beings, in God and in me. He is God. He's, He's talking about his Father, who is a distinct person, in the Godhead, but there's only one God, right? Jesus reveals the one true God to exist in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one is fully God, yet each one is distinct from the others, and each one relates to the others in distinct and different ways. For example, the Spirit is not the Son's Father. The Father is the Son's Father. So their relationships are different, right? The Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. Their relationships to one another are different. The three persons, the three live together as one God, and each person is the whole God in himself because of his relations to the other. Um, Sorry if that's just baffling. You know, there's some things that we can say about God but don't fully understand. This is one of them. How can this be true? What does this mean? Um, But it isn't just abstract ivory tower, systematic theology for the brainsters out there. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples, uneducated, untrained men, at the, at the most dire moment. This is what he teaches his disciples. And this is what he wants all of his disciples to know. <clears throat> if you had known me, he says in verse 7, 
you would have known my father also. So there's an identification between Jesus and God the Father, where he can say, if, if you'd known me, you'd know my father. There's an identification there, but not because they're identical, not because they're the same person, because they're mutually indwelling persons. That's what he says in verse 10. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. They're distinct persons, but one and the same God because of this mutual indwelling. One is in the other, and vice versa. So in this passage, Jesus is focusing on these two persons, the Father and himself, the Son, and, um, and begins in the next passage really to discuss the Spirit, which is what we'll talk about next week. <clears throat> but here's why this is so important. Here's why, of all the things that Jesus could say at a time like this, he chose to say this. What was about to happen, especially his imminent death, it would mean his disciples dwelling together forever with this God of mutual indwelling. And we all need to see this because this Father that Jesus is talking about, this Father is our destination and Jesus himself is the way to our destination and we need to hold fast to this way and stick to it, Jesus says, through faith, through trusting Jesus, right? He says, trust in God, trust also in me. This is nothing like what adherents to other religions are called to do, trust. Other religions, whether you're talking about formal religions where they have codified ideas or worldviews, Uh, formal things like Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam, or informal ones like the idolatries of career and beauty, being obsessed with that, or family. All other religions have rules that you yourself keep. You keep these rules, you do these things in order to attain the goal in order to arrive at the destination, whatever that version of heaven is that's being offered by that religion. Basically, you haven't secured the prize yet. It's still out there in front of you, and you need to attain it. So if you just do more, if you just do it right, then you'll arrive at the destination. And we've all bought into that kind of way. We've all bought into that kind of way. But against all these things, Jesus teaches that God, the true God, the only true God, he's taking care of us, that he loved us before we ever did right or wrong, that he continues to love us even after we've sinned against him, betrayed him, abandoned him, rejected him. He still loves us. And he has provided the way for us to be reconciled to him by his grace and by his grace alone. And we need to receive that and we need to believe it and trust in him relationally. That's the way Jesus talks about it. He says, 
in verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. So you see a lot of different translations treat that differently. But basically it's, it's saying in my father's house, in my father's home, are many dwelling places. Places where people can live with God, live with the father. So don't just get stuck in your idea, this huge mansion with lots of rooms and we're all there like some great hotel or something. Uh, In my father's house are many dwelling places, places where you can be with God and live with him. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is not saying, if you clean up your act, if you do a little more, and if you do it right, then you'll, you'll have put the down payment on one of those rooms in my father's house. He says, I'm taking care of everything. First to last. Beginning to end. I'm taking care of everything. And here's the picture that he's giving us. That's a picture we need the whole Bible to fill out. In the beginning, you see this in the first chapters of Genesis. You can all go read it. You should all go read it. Especially if you haven't read it already. Here's the picture in the beginning, create, uh, God created the whole world, and he created humanity in his image to have a relationship with him, to be in, in a good relationship with him and with each other, in, in real love. And when God created it, he, he enthusiastically declared, it is all very good, all of it. And he placed humanity in the garden that he himself had cultivated. He set them up for success, if you will. Uh, He blessed them and was generous to them. He placed them in this garden. And he made us at home in his own world, this whole world being a dwelling place for us to meet with him and to be with him and live with him in his own presence. But immediately, we ruined everything by wrecking our relationship with God. We distrusted him. We were suspicious of him. We walked away from him. And we were exiled from his presence, and this terrible being, this angel, with a flaming slashing sword, was posted at the entrance to what was once our home with God, that dwelling place where you could be with God. You were forbidden access, all of us were. Only death lay in that direction now because of the angel with his flaming sword, which made it a a tad bit difficult to enjoy life with God. If you were going to go in that direction and it meant death for you, well, how will you live with God after that? But this is why God sent his son into the world, to bring us home, to restore us into his presence, and to make us dwell there, and to live with him. And he would do that by walking through the flaming sword, by taking the judgment that we deserve, by being cut down, and thereby opening the way for us to join him where he is. So through his own death, Jesus would go into the Father's presence through his death. We know from the, from the scriptures, through his resurrection, through his ascension, to where he is bodily in the Father's presence in heaven right now. Through his own death, though, Jesus would go into the Father's presence, and because he's there now, as our representative, then the welcome that he receives, he's received all welcome. The welcome that he receives 
counts for us, and we will be received with the very same welcome by the Father. It's already true. It's already a done deal. Jesus has taken care of it. From first to last, from beginning to end, it says Jesus will return for us at the end of the world to consummate the new creation, to make all things new, to gather his people to himself so that we will be with him where he is forever. There's room enough for you and you and you and all of you. There's room enough. That's what he's saying. As many as believe in Jesus will be welcome in the Father's home and make their dwelling place with God. And you just trust that Jesus is taking care of everything on your behalf. That's the way. You just trust that Jesus is taking care of it from first to last. So, At that time, when Jesus is talking with his disciples here in this passage, the very next thing on his agenda was to go to the cross and to take the flaming sword on behalf of his people in order to open the way for his people. He's going to die for our sins and be raised from the dead for our justification so we'd be declared righteous in Jesus Christ by faith. And he was going to go and be with the Father so that where he is, we also belong. So that where he is, we could dwell with the Father. That's our destination. And he's already arrived there. Our destination is to be with the Father, and he has arrived there, not just for himself, but on your behalf. On our behalf. And so Jesus says in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. You know the way to where I am going. His disciples uh, still refusing to understand. Some of this is a bit enigmatic. It's still hard for me to get my mind around it. Um, but they were, I think, refusing to understand what he was saying. So Thomas said to him in the next verse, Lord, we do not know where you're going. We don't know your destination. So how can we know the way? How can we know the road? The, the way and the road are both legitimate <clears throat> uh, translations for that word in Greek. They probably think that he's just being secretive about leaving town to avoid trouble because trouble's coming and he's planning to to leave secretly, leave them all behind for now, but you know which road I'll be on. You know where to find me. They don't see how Jesus' destination was to return to his father. That's where he came from, from the father, for our sake, to gather us up, and to carry us back. They don't know that his destination is to return to his father, and so they aren't understanding the way. They aren't understanding the the path, the road to the father. So Jesus spells it out for them. It's me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So the destination, Jesus is telling us, is the Father to dwell in his house, to live with him and abide with him, to have heaven as your home. And the only way there is through Jesus. He isn't saying, Jesus isn't saying, I know the way or that I tell you the truth or that I grant you the life as right as it may be to say all those things. That's not what he's saying. He isn't saying that if you just live like he does, like he recommends, if you follow his way of life, 
which is the true way of life, if you listen to Jesus, and if you can manage to pull off a decent impression of Jesus in this life, then you'll get to where you want to go eventually. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying that he himself, who he is and what he does, he himself is the way to the Father. He himself is the truth and the life. He is the road home to God. There is no other way, he says. His own life, death, resurrection, and ascension is the only path. If you want the destination that he's talking about, which is dwelling with the Father, if that's what you want, then you must embrace Jesus himself as the way. You do that through faith, trusting in him. It's a relational connection. Because he is God, he's the truth. We've seen that already in John's gospel. He is the truth. He truly reveals God to us. What we see in Jesus is what we get with God. And his relationship with the Father, the Son to the Father, that's the very definition of life. So Jesus is the Son of God, and he, he's not just not just, not merely, not only the Son of God, a divine being. Jesus is the Son of God living as a human with God the Father. He's done it. He's already arrived at the destination. He's a human being living with God the Father. And this is why he is the way to the Father for us, because he's the embodiment of our humanity brought home to life with God brought into the mutual indwelling that defines God's own being. So Jesus can say, now that knowing him, that's the way. And it means knowing the Father, which is the destination. So, he says in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. And you have seen him. It's important to hear those words. It's almost funny how a couple times in this passage he says something like, you know, you know the Father, you know the way, you know. Even when the disciples are clueless and immediately show they don't know what he's talking about with their comments, he says, you do. You do know. And it's like he's saying, you do have a relationship with me. You do know me. Even though that reality hasn't fully dawned on you yet, the magnitude of everything that that means, you don't understand that yet. But you do know me. And you have seen the Father because of your relationship with me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us, right? So, uh, still not getting it. D.A. Carson says, he's he's got a commentary on John's Gospel. It's great. He says that Philip asks for direct access, an immediate display of God himself. He thus joins the queue of human beings through the ages who have rightly understood that there can be no higher experience, no greater good than seeing God as he is. And in unimaginable splendor and transcendent glory, we yearn for the vision of God. It's like Psalm 84 that Joe read this morning. So this is important. It's important to get this. There have been a lot of Christians, like Philip, 
reminiscent of Moses. Exodus 33, Moses asks to see God's glory. It sounds like the yearnings of all the mystics throughout history for that beatific vision. It sounds like all the songs of the evangelical churches pining for an ecstatic experience of God. I've heard a lot of Christians talk about that one experience they had. That one experience they had, that one night when God was so real to me and he kept me up till all hours in otherworldly rapture. Like that was real spirituality and I just wish I could get back to that. And everything else is just sort of ho-hum-drum. Jesus would say, you do have a relationship with me and therefore with the Father, even though that hasn't fully dawned on you yet. If you've heard about Jesus in the Gospels, if you've seen him there, then you've seen God and you know God. It's not something I'm trying to get you to believe. That's a declaration I am making that you should believe. You know God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way to God. If you've known him, you've known the Father. You want a beatific vision? Look at Jesus. You want an ecstatic experience of God? Step outside yourself and start trusting in Jesus. You might think because you didn't levitate in a glowing halo of light that you haven't had the sublime encounter with God. But Jesus is telling you that you have when you encountered him. Because of him, you have a dwelling place with God. You have access to the Father. That is true. Hebrews chapter 10 says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, through his humanity, because his humanity is in God's presence, and through faith we're connected to him, we're united to him, and we belong where he is as a gift of his grace, not because we deserved it, but because he freely gave it to us, and he's invited us in so that where he is, we, we may also be. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe it. Jesus is patient with people who don't recognize it hasn't dawned on them yet. He's patient with people who don't recognize the destination that he's talking about, the Father's presence. Patient with people that that, that they don't recognize the way to the destination that is Jesus himself. He's patient with people who don't believe that they already have access to God as a gift of his grace. He's patient, and he's gracious, and he's going to say it until you get it. He wants you to believe it. Anything else would be terrible for you. Not believing in Jesus as the way, that you've already arrived at the destination in your relationship with God because of him, not believing that is terrible for you, and Jesus doesn't want that. So John Calvin says, if any man turn aside from Christ, he will do nothing but go astray. If any man does not rest on him, he will feed elsewhere on nothing but wind and vanity. If any man not satisfied with him alone, 
wishes to go farther, he'll find death instead of life. So no other official religion, no other life pursuits, no other set of ideals, no other principles or paradigms will get you home to God and make you dwell with him. They're not even aiming at the same destination. Not really. Let alone mapping the way there through Jesus Christ. And it isn't just the big, obvious alternatives to Christianity that, that we're talking about, that Jesus would talk about, that, that lead us astray, like secular materialism as this big competing paradigm or religion. It's not just the big alternatives, obvious ones like animism or ancestor worship or a pantheon of gods or this god or that god. And it isn't just more generic detours off to false gods. Generic. Everybody in the world has these kinds of gods, money, sex, and power. It isn't just becoming enslaved to the paths for success that they dictate to us. That's not all that he's talking about. Those things are, those things are pretty obvious. But we as Christians, we can get lured into thinking as really committed Christians. We're really serious about our faith. Very religious. That we've found the way to be right and good and safe and pure. We've found it. Yes, of course, obviously, Jesus is the way to salvation, to be sure. That's assumed. But... Don't we also feel compelled? Don't we also need to focus on doing everything right? Everything. Figure out what's right and do it because you need to if you're going to be acceptable to God, right? You know, if everyone would just circumcise their children, that was the big problem in the days of the early church that Galatians addresses. We see a lot of things like that today. If everyone would just vote the true moral way, that's so obvious. If we'd all just get on the same page with that, then we'd have a good community that was safe and right and pure. If everyone would avoid recreational substances, don't smoke and drink and chew and go with girls who do, isn't that how it goes? <clears throat> if, if everyone would use the proper parenting model or if everyone would join the right social activism group, if we'd all get on the same page with those things, then we'd all make it to the good Christian destination out there in front of us that we haven't arrived at yet. Yeah, Jesus gets us to heaven, but the, the way to really live in this world is by doing, doing more, doing it right, doing it better. We need to do that. And once you start to think that way about what it really means to live then you've lost sight of the destination that Jesus declares to you. Once you relegate Jesus to the place of an assumption in your life, then you've lost the way that Jesus himself is alone for you. This is eternal life. He says later in his, in his uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, he's, so he's talking to the Father, this is eternal life. And that doesn't just mean the life that extends out forever after you die in heaven. 
It's, it's the nature of true life that he came to bring us now, life with God, dwelling with the Father. This is it. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing. Relational knowing. So if eternal life doesn't mean for you being at home with God, even right now, dwelling with the Father, if that's not what eternal life means, if that's not what life is about for you, then uh, it's not the destination Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> if the way to this destination isn't Jesus himself in his life and his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his glorification at God's right hand, if that's not the way to your destination, then you're on your way to nowhere good, Jesus says. And if you think that you've got to be a certain kind of person, if you think your life has to look a certain way, if you think you've got to do certain kinds of things in order to get just a little glimpse of heaven, just a little experience of God, then you're not trusting like Jesus told you to trust, that he's taking care of everything first to last. You've already got it as a gift of his grace. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. You do know him. You have seen him. You do know where you're going, and you do know the way if you've seen Jesus. Jesus is the way home to the Father, and he's taking care of everything. Believe that. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're slow to believe. We're prone to forget, prone to wander and stray on different paths. We pray that you would keep us locked onto Jesus Christ for our life. We pray that you would help us to see how a relationship with him through faith in him reorders everything in our lives, turns everything upside down. Help us to know and believe that we really have seen you, that we do have a relationship with you, that there's nothing better than what we already have through faith in Jesus Christ, that we dwell with you now and always. We pray that you would make that sink into our hearts through your Holy Spirit as you help us believe the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.